0: This is a spoiler warning. We are going to spoil the episodes discussed in the show. It's also a free flowing discussion. We're going to spoil pretty much most of the show aired to date. Uh, We'll do our best not to spoil any of the big finish range other than the episode that's discussed, but you are warned.
1: Problem is, Perry, we are faced with a conundrum wrapped up in a dilemma.
0: Hello and welcome to the Twin Dilemma, a Doctor Who fan podcast. Each episode, we watch one new Who and one classic and tell you indisputedly, undoubtedly, viciously, which one is best. Those are the twins, that's the dilemma, and I'm your co-host Edward Grove. And I am Fenric Lamar. And today's theme, as I slyly alluded to earlier, is Warrior Race. When did you allude
1: to it? I said vicious.
0: you did, didn't you? You really did not catch on. You just tuned me out, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) I wait till the part where I get to say my name. That's your favorite part. It is. But no, it's warrior race because today we're talking about one of our favorite warrior races, the blacks. (laughs) 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 uh, uh, um, Centaurans. did I say it fast enough? Snip, snip,
1: edit, edit. No, in fact, our classic episode this week is the Santarin Experiment. The alien in the rocks, the machine captures us, takes us for torture. I got away, see? Those are burns,
0: aren't they? Did the alien do that? Is that what you're saying? He killed Heath and Spleer. I got away. You understand?
1: I think I'm beginning to.
0: In this story written by Bob Baker and Dave Martin, the Doctor travels to a deserted future Earth thousands of years in the future. But soon, he and his companions discover the supposedly empty planet has been turned into a testing site, preparing an alien force to invade all the remaining human colonies. All right, so Fenric Lamar, what do you think of the Centauran experiment?
1: I find the Suntaran experiment to be mildly boring.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would probably say the same thing. I'd probably phrase it slightly on the other side of the coin, like mildly cool.
1: Sure <laughs> let yeah, let's let's be nice to it uh it, it's it's got its moments and and what I like about it is like it's
0: two parts, it's two parts. <laughs> well, I was gonna say it's unique, but by being two parts, that makes it or certainly contributes to its uniqueness,
1: and it's not the worst episode we've watched, uh not by a long shot, not by quite a long shot. It's very much hinging on you having just watched the Ark in space. There's actually a bit of
0: trivia related to
1: that. That will be uh,
0: uh, mildly saucy. I'm not going to oversell it. (laughs) (laughs) It's an odd story in a lot of ways. Like You can kind of like, I almost feel bad for this story, but the story feels slightly handicapped by itself. I can see that. It really feels like, oh, they really only had so much to work with on this one.
1: Yeah, I mean, the set, they just, like, went out into the countryside. Uh, What set? Was there a set in this? (laughs) I think that they made a papier-mâché boulder.
0: I feel like I recall a ring of ball bearings at one point, and they were a bit moldy. Are
1: you talking about the massive ball bearings? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah, uh, those things are... They teleport. Supposedly, yeah. Yeah, it's a
0: a weird story in that, uh, you know, right at the beginning, the doctor just fades into existence <laughs> sans tardis and then sarah jane comes in shortly after dressed like a fisherman dressed like a fisherman and we've got a uh, good old harry stumbling around harry at one point uh, just uh just falls the fuck down this cliff and uh i thought it would be really funny if he just died <laughs>
1: <laughs> do you not like harry
0: Oh, actually, I, no, not really. But that was why. I just thought the, the story has like an odd kind of, pretty for the first half, this like weirdly unceremonious quality to it, where shit's just kind of happening in sequence without like one event necessarily causing the other. And it would be like the perfect elevated farcical quality to that if he just fell
1: over and died. What a great way to take out a companion. <laughs> yeah. you, you said it's got sort of like a weird feeling to it. I want to ask you, Does Tom Baker feel quite right to you in this story?
0: Well, not really, but I think the reason is he has to be constantly squinting the entire time because it's very apparent that, like, the wind was blowing on him really aggressively. (laughs) When you think of Tom Baker, there's this, like, composed manic grin, you know? Yeah. Where he's, like, on Valium or whatever. (laughs) He's just kind of, like, standing there wide-eyed, like, oh, yes, would you like a jelly baby? my brilliant Tom Baker impression that I'm renowned for. (laughs) And in this, whenever he tries to kind of slip into that mode, he's like squinting really, really hard. And the wind is just blasting his hair around his face. And he's like,
1: ah, yes, I'm from Gallifrey. You can trust me. I don't know. I just felt like he was on antidepressants in this episode. (laughs) Like all of his emotions were like taken from, you know, he's usually like an 11 to like a five. I don't, I don't know what it is. It's more like
0: he's like a four.
1: Ah, okay. I get what you're doing. <laughs> no, I I
0: honestly think the wind played a big part in it because he he can't open his eyes wide.
1: Well, <laughs> I didn't notice the eyes, but uh, I, I'll, I'll take your word for it. Watch it again, man. He's squinty McGee in this. Having said that, there's a fucking brilliant, hilarious fourth Doctor moment. It's right at the very end. As we talked about these ball bearings, they're they're sort of teleporters, and i should stand back if i were you i mean it should be all right and then he fades away he teleports and then he alone teleports back in even though sarah and harry were with him and he goes but you never know quite do you? that is a really great moment and i'm
0: i'm glad you brought it up for one reason in particular i remembered really liking it and then uh, not to not to give people a too much of a peek behind the scenes, but we take notes on the episodes. And I looked at my notes to see what it was that I liked about the ending. And all I'd written down was the ending is charming. (laughs) And I completely forgot what happened.
1: Well, you know, we reference our notes like every episode. (laughs) But
0: yeah, so that was good. I like it. I like it in that part. Yeah, it was very funny. What I liked a bit less were, uh, the horrible asshole survivor humans who were all
1: dicks they were a bit and they all sort of looked like members of the doors Uh, (laughs) you know they're just kind of dirty people
0: (laughs) is that just how you feel about south africans is that what they were supposed to be i think that is what they were and uh, were also supposed to be yeah i didn't pick up on an accent that was yeah that was the accent
1: huh I just thought they were just British people.
0: (laughs) I assumed it was Doctor Who. You just thought they got hit in the mouth. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that's really weird about this is it's a two-parter and um, it has Suntaran in the name. But you really don't get the Suntarans at all until the
1: second part. Because once again, it's classic Doctor Who. They, They throw the name of the enemy at you in the title. I mean, New Who is guilty of this as well. But then like the cliffhanger is... Oh no, there's a Suntaran.
0: But normally, at least, then you get three parts
1: with it. Uh-huh.
0: This one, you get one part, and I feel like it's about halfway into part two, where you actually learn what the Santaran experiment is. Experiment seven. Subject, female. Project, resistance to fear.
1: Yeah, so basically they're they're trying to find out like humans weaknesses, right? Yes. Uh, because they're going to launch a full-scale invasion. As Santarans do. My question is wouldn't it be easier to just get a textbook?
0: <laughs> I mean is that is that really the Santaran way? <laughs>
1: <laughs> but like I, I Santar ha, <laughs> Not Santar read. I <laughs> I was fine with it up until we learned that the entire invading army is waiting for this one Santaran's test results. <laughs> the entire invasion fleet is being held up. How much longer must we wait? Like, just Google human. You'll find <laughs> best ways to kill a human. I'm sure they have that on the Santar net. Number one, brick. Very popular. <laughs> like, oh, yes, brick. I would love to see a Suntaran just throw a brick the same way that Strax throws his newspaper at Clara. <laughs> yeah, I'd pay good money for that. What made me laugh about Steyr,
0: our uh, villainous Suntaran, and his report, was at one point he makes a note about humans. And are totally dependent on organic chemical
1: intake for their energy supply.
0: And he says that like it's a huge fucking weakness.
1: Like, what, what do you Suntarans eat? They well, don't have food? They do, like, th- there, there is another weird thing that they sort of add to the Suntar Mythos in this is that he has to, like, go back to his ship to recharge. That's way worse. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. can forage and we can bring shit with us. Literally, the grass that you're walking in, we could eat that.
0: Yeah, you don't have a fucking snack ship. <laughs> I don't see go-gurt ships.
1: Oh, I would like that. Yeah. Shipped-flavored go as well. Gushers ships. Well, that doesn't sound bad, because that implies that uh, spaceships are blowing up. In your mouth, though. I hate Gushers. Can you believe it? You
0: lost every single member of our (laughs) tiny fan base. I just, I don't like my food surprising me. But you know the overlap between Doctor Who fans and Gushers fans has got to be, like, the Venn diagram is a circle. Hey, don't worry, guys.
1: I do really like fruit by the foot. (laughs) Okay. You've got him back. <laughs> you lassoed him back in with the fruit-by-the-foot comment. But don't even try and talk to me about Lunchables. Uh, wh- why do you do this to yourself? <laughs> don't you want to be loved? I don't. Oh, uh, okay. I want to be left alone. Well, asked and answered. I thought it was funny that, you know, New Who, it's become like a running joke, especially with Strax, and specifically, that Santarans are, because they're like clones, they are incapable of telling between our genders the very first thing that Steyer says in this episode is Female, number one first assessment Yeah
0: <laughs> Yeah, it, uh, it leads pretty quickly into a nice little little rapey moment <laughs> You as a female are far more interesting
1: it's like, Oh, great Do they have penises? They shouldn't, right? Interesting you should say that
0: written down here to ask you <laughs> Oh, it's in one of the different Suntaran episodes we're going to be talking about today. No, I won't jump ahead. I'll wait. Be patient. We'll talk about penises later. We'll get to Suntaran penises. Very saucy. Yeah, that, Now those, those are saucy. Unless
1: they don't exist. I'm, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll wait. <laughs> we'll get there. Be patient, young listener. So I did want to ask you, like, watching this, especially without having just watched Ar- Ark in Space. And there's that bit... The fourth doctor is sort of, like, examining these uh, these teleportation testicles. Mm. And he's talking to Sarah Jane. Mm.
0: I love me some teleportation
1: <laughs> testicles. And Sarah Jane wants to go off on her own. And the doctor says... Trafalgar Square should be that way. Trafalgar Square? If this is Piccadilly. You're joking. With no frame of reference, not coming in from Ark Space, did you take that to be... He doesn't know where he is or that we're in the future.
0: I took it to be mostly he just didn't give a shit.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That makes a lot of sense with uh, the fourth Doctor.
0: Yeah. Which is something I do enjoy in these stories. And I feel like with the fourth Doctor, you kind of just have to grab onto the... The scarf.
1: The (laughs) scarf. The deep lack of giving a shit that he demonstrates in certain episodes. Hey, clearly he gives a shit. He challenged a Suntaran to single combat in this episode. Yeah,
0: yeah. And it's kind of weird that he d- sort of beats his ass.
1: Should that be? This isn't Colin Baker we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, he's no brute man. Yeah, that is strange. Like, shouldn't a Suntaran win all the time?
0: And shouldn't the doctor, like, if he's going to win, he should have to use trickery? But he just bludgeons the guy. Or at least, like, have the Suntaran trip on his scarf. Yeah. Something. Nope. Concussion. The only other thing I have to say about this story is that I really appreciated the way that the Centauran communication device looks like a giant Tamagotchi.
1: It did a little bit, didn't it? All
0: their things have to be round. And the little Centauran is like, "Feed me, feed me,
1: poop." <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that—that's why he was running the tests. Yeah, because he's finding out, you know, if humans have to eat these uh, chemical, organic. Things,
0: yes, as we do, we chemical organic things.
1: What do what does he have to feed uh, his own baby? Poop. You feed the baby poop. Uh, did I follow this? I'm not sure. That's
0: what I did with my Tamagotchi. It kept dying, and it was just like death is a mercy.
1: <laughs> you are a cruel overlord. I would give it a thumbs up, but my thumb was too busy killing it. <laughs> thumb on trachea.
0: <laughs> and with our discussion concluded. It's time for some Suntaran experiment trivia. The two episodes that make up this story were originally part of a larger six-part story. The other four episodes ultimately took the
1: form of Ark in Space. Do you know what the six-parter was going to be? It wasn't going to be Ark in Space? or something. They were just all one story. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: Ark in Space is very good. And uh, Suntaran experiment is the Centauran
1: experiment. <laughs> it's, it's an experiment. Bad. It's not bad. Yeah, it's, it's not awful. Yeah. It's just a... Uh, it's weird. It's weird. Not much happens. They're pretty much... It, it looks like a kid's movie. Like they just took <laughs> a camera out into the hills and they're like, now we'll we'll throw rocks at each other.
0: This was the first two-part serial for the show in 10 years. The previous having been 1965's The Rescue. There wouldn't be another until Black Orchid in 1982.
1: Yeah, and you know, strangely, uh, th- that format usually lends itself to really interesting stories. But not so much this time.
0: I guess when you hear about the development of it, it being broken off from a larger story is probably why it it feels a bit like a a little bit half-formed. Just like a (laughs) Centauran. Yeah, his head does melt all weird at the end. (laughs) Which wasn't a cool little effect. I Actually, I do love that moment. Yeah. Love a nice goopy Centauran head. This story is also noteworthy for being the second Doctor Who story ever shot entirely on location. The first being Spearhead
1: from Space. What a great location. Outdoors. It looks like my backyard. (laughs) That would be a nice backyard. Yeah, I mean, it would have to be a big backyard. Which led me to a question. It's supposed to be like 10,000 years in the future. What happened to anything? I know, right?
0: Where does this fit into anything? Uh, Let's just not raise those questions.
1: Okay, move along.
0: During the fight scene... Tom Baker fell and broke his collarbone. So maybe the Santarin did win. Fortunately, the Doctor's signature scarf came in handy covering the neck brace he was forced to wear for the rest of filming. That's amazing. There's one shot in particular when I was watching it where I was like, why the fuck is. Why.
1: Like, when did the Fourth Doctor get such mad gains? That's just what happens when he's about to get into a fight. He has to like go super Time Lord first. It is actually right before the fight. It's when he's like calling to Steyer and he's like, Hey, little bitch,
0: look at me. And he's just got like mega chest.
1: Nice. I guess he is a brute man.
0: Kevin Lindsay, who played Steyer, found the Suntaran outfit heavy and cumbersome. This meant that combined with Tom Baker's injury in the final action sequences of the story, both characters are being played by stunt doubles. Perfect.
1: It's so weird to have a stunt double for a character that's entirely in costume. Yep.
0: And it was just uh two uh, two random weirdos rolling around in the grass.
1: Like I said, it's a kid's movie. <laughs> yeah.
0: And now it's time for our entry from New Who this week. It's a two-parter, The Centauran Stratagem and The Poison Sky. Dedicated to a life of warfare, a clone race grown in batches of minions with
1: only one weakness. Centaurans have no weakness. Oh, it's a good weakness. Well, you're meant to be clever. Only an idiot will provoke him. No, but the centaurs are fed by a probic vent in the back of their neck as their weak spot, which means they always have to face their enemies in battle. Isn't that brilliant? They can never turn their back? We stare into the face of death. Yeah? Well, stare at this. <laughs> While traveling with Donna, the Tenth Doctor gets a call from his last companion, Martha, who's now working for UNIT as they investigate Atmos, a carbon emission solution and the brainchild of a teenage genius. But it turns out this unlikable little twerp is a bad guy and is working with the Santarans on a plan to poison the Earth with noxious gases. Edward, what do you think of the Santaran stratagem and the Poison Sky?
0: I think this is a pretty darn enjoyable two-parter.
1: I don't know what it is about this story, but like, if you were to ask me, name the story that you think of when you think of perfect Doctor Who, mm. it's this one. This is wow. what. Wow. Yeah, it's not. It's not even like a ten out of ten in That's my book. That's such it's, a bizarre thing to say. It's just like who this would is, say that? This is what I want Doctor Who to feel like. At I don't all even times. want to talk
0: about the story now. I just want to talk about you and why you would say that.
1: I, I honestly can't pinpoint what it is about this story mm. that makes me feel that way, but it's just. And I say that as someone who really enjoys this story, but that's a really
0: odd thing to say.
1: Like, I really like uh, the really unlikable uh, villain, Luke. Uh, I love bringing back a companion in a fun way and in a way that doesn't just feel bullshitty, like how Stephen Moffat would do it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you you did hit on two things I really wanted to talk about in your synopsis. Let's jump on them in the order that you brought them up. One is that this is sort of like a multi-companion special.
1: It is a little bit. I mean, it literally is. Yeah. (laughs) And I think it's really successful. You know, right off the bat, literally the, the line leading you in from the cold open. Doctor, it's Martha. And I'm bringing you back to Earth.
0: And weirdly, I tend to forget she's in this story, even though her role in it is huge and there's literally two of her. (laughs) and so whenever i go to rewatch it that
1: scene happens and i'm like
0: oh fuck yeah
1: i think it's because she's martha's only in it for like 10 minutes yeah and then she gets replaced by like evil martha who's like martha but a little bit blander Mm -hmm. i thought you were gonna say blacker and i was like that's weird (laughs) she's slightly more black they sort of screwed up the the pigment she wears a hat backwards and uh keeps talking about mc doom mc asher yeah (laughs) yeah but uh, you know, that moment when you're, you're, the cold open ends and then the series four opening music starts, which is like the hardest rock version that we've ever gotten of the, the theme song, it really excites you.
0: It's a thrilling episode. Particularly, I forget that the Poison Sky is basically action all the way through. Like, shit gets fucked early in the Poison Sky and it stays fucked.
1: I mean, it kind of starts with like the end of the Suntaran Stratagem When they first start to release the gas and then suddenly Sontarans are just like blowing unit soldiers away. (laughs) Also just blowing unit soldiers. Well, you know, you've got to do it. You got a
0: big ass head. You got to use it.
1: There's a moment that I always forget about. You know, there's these two unit soldiers that we meet sort of early on who, by the way, are fucking morons. Yes. They are irredeemable morons. You two, all personnel have been ordered to evacuate. The building's under unit control. This area is out of bounds. Excuse me, Sergeant. I think you find we're in charge. They're just like wandering around this sci-fi set, and they find like a casket, and something is inside it. And they're just like, oh, just open it up. What is it? What's gonna? I don't know if you should, but I'm going to do it, bro. (laughs) If there was a scene where they were getting stoned right before that scene, it would would make make a lot of sense. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I was trying to think of what's the like English, if there's a more English version of hold my beer, I guess it'd be like hold my lager. Yeah, that would make sense. (laughs) You can't just say hold my tea. That doesn't quite work.
1: Hold my tea, bruh. No, it doesn't work. Yeah. I have a hard time picturing either of those two actually drinking tea. It does make it extra funny, though. (laughs) they got a little cup and saucer. Yeah. Like, whoa, this tea's really fucking me up. Super dainty with just like the two fingers. Oh, yeah. Pinky out, fully extended. But I always forget there's this moment, you know, they basically get uh, mind controlled by the Sontarans. And after the shit hits the fan, one of the Sontarans named Score sort of like walks past them, has a second thought, turns around and just shoots them both off screen. (laughs) just kind of dark and fun in a, a nice little way. And- yeah, they,
0: I don't know. I think the Russell T. Davies era in general was really good at knowing yeah, there's this innate sense of storytelling where you need to know who the audience is okay with you punishing. And as a viewer, you're really okay with that. Yeah, that fuck those guys. Like it works in both senses where like that's great. It adds to that seriousness of the
1: Centaurans. But it also is like, yeah, I'm cool with them dying. Well, that leads me into what I assume is the second thing you want to talk about. Okay. Which is Luke. Luke Radigan. Great name. Uh, It is a good name. Radigan Academy. It's weird that uh, the the episode opens with a journalist being physically thrown out of his school. (laughs) Nobody knows he's a bad guy yet. He is a really interesting character.
0: And I actually, another thing I forget, I forget a lot of the charms of this story. I forget the journey he goes on
1: you kind of forget that he has a redemption at the end. And that's like one of the only things I don't like about this story is he's one of those characters that's so well-written to hate. He's so
0: delusional. One of my favorite moments of his just like utter, like head up his own ass to the fucking collarbone moments is when he's revealing to his academy after he's talking to them about, you know, I'm gonna take you guys to the moon or whatever my bullshit plan is. Earth 2. And he starts to talk to them about how he has a mating program for them. We can build and breed. We can prosper. We can do anything. We're going to breed. I've
1: designed a mating program. <laughs> and needless to say, uh, nobody's on board. <laughs> yeah, if, if this was a like a torchwood, there would be a line in there where somebody would say, no one wants to fuck you.
0: What I like to imagine though is that like everybody would leave, and there'd be like one guy in the
1: back who's like, "I'll try." There is that one guy who sort of lingers to scold him personally. Yeah, and
0: every time you're like, "Is he sticking around?" He's like, "I think if we try hard enough, long enough, bro, anything's possible. <laughs> life finds a way." Hold my tea.
1: <laughs> Not the same person. Hold don't want to confuse tea, he you just guys. goes in on it.
0: It's just forty minutes of penetration. They're like, "I don't think it's working." It's like, "I think we got to give another shot."
1: Uh, I love uh, the him and the doctor's little constant tete-a-tete's where the, the doctor first corrects him on uh, a grammatical oh, error.
0: Oh, yeah, a little, little pedantry. If
1: only that was possible. If only that were possible. Conditional clothes. And then he gets so pissed off about that. Mm-hmm. He, he's, he's everybody's, like, little cousin who <laughs> who doesn't get the toy they wanted on Christmas and just fucking throws a fit. And I do, I totally forget that they bring him around in a way that, I
0: don't know, I think it actually feels believable.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying it's not believable. I'm just saying I don't want him to have a redemption. It's, it's, I want it's him to have a horrible death. He's so succulent in their hateability. Yeah, I do love that moment when he teleports back up to the Santarn ship as like a sacrifice move. And he just gets in one last Santarha. ha Oh, it's, it's a juicy Santarha. ha Great one. Uh, as far as I know, this story introduced Santar Ha. Yeah, I believe that's true. And uh, it's very fun to, to just yell for no reason. Yeah, like when you come. I do it all the time. Oh, it's the best. Also, when I go to comedy shows, instead of just laughing, I go, <laughs> Santarha.
0: Ha. should go to a comedy show and sit in the front row. And when somebody tells like these are both in unison, go, Santar
1: Ha. And we have to do, you know, the arm thing where you're like punching your own yeah. hand.
0: Santar Ha. I, 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 I wrote down to my notes how funny it would be if the Jadun and the Santarans ever met, and it was just like a, Tauron the Suntarhan! It's would, like two sound makers exploding. The dialogue writes itself. <laughs> yeah. So we've talked about some other interactions with the teleporter. We've got to talk about the moment I always think of when I think of this episode. And to me, it's probably the one thing that you could point out to be like, this is why this is the prototype for great Doctor Who, it's not only the iconic moment from the story. To me, this is the iconic moment from the 10th Doctor's run, arguably. The Doctor's got this
1: device. It's a sort of MacGuffin machine. This is the atmosphere eliminator.
0: Yeah, the atmosphere exploder, but leaves everyone okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always wonder about that. Like, uh, First of all, the gas is not just up in it's the science, air. science, science,
0: science. <laughs> okay. Science reasons. I don't know if you noticed, but it's it's sort of pointy and it's got lights on it. So shut up. <laughs> Fair enough. You know, they they give you the prompt. Why don't you just send the machine up there and just blow the fuck out of these Centaurans? And the Doctor says,
1: "I've got to give them a choice."
0: That much more so than what we got in the snippet of him in the Christmas invasion. That's the defining moment of the Tenth Doctor
1: to me. It's too bad it's Series Four and he's <laughs> only got like ten episodes left. But it's brilliant. It is really good.
0: I think, you know, that really is a culmination of a certain side of his character. And I mean, in a way, it kind of is a a mirror image of who you saw in the Christmas Invasion, where it's like, he's going to give you a chance, but like, once you have that chance,
1: he's happy to blow you up afterwards. Weird uh, both those episodes involve him defeating an enemy by throwing a little rubber ball. (laughs) He loves that. At this point, you'd think that the doctor would be like, you know, I should give him a chance, but come on. That's it's the
0: Sontarans.
1: He wouldn't be the doctor
0: anymore. He'd have to change his name. The physician. The nurse practitioner.
1: <laughs> the proctologist. The mortician. Ooh, that would be a good villain for him.
0: I, so I I think about that all the time. Like, if they introduce new Time Lords, in most people's conception, it kind of has to be like some kind of occupation.
1: <laughs> yeah. Those are the the most successful ones. Yeah. They're sort of dabbling into weirder ones now, like the Eleven. But uh, uh, we're definitely talking about the Poison Sky right now. Oops. <laughs> I want to ask you, what are your thoughts on Atmos?
0: So Atmos, I think if you really look at it through a lens that's not pumped, filled with, I remember watching this when it came out. It's very dated.
1: It is, yeah. The, especially the the GPS nav systems. Yeah.
0: There were a lot of different shows and even movies and stuff that all had that idea at the exact same time. And I think to give Doctor Who e some credit, because of it being a TV show, it got to the idea quickly and it did it really well. So it's one of the best executions of that concept out there. But it feels a bit silly now, like, you know, people being afraid of something that's such a mundane part of your daily life. Like, who's afraid of Google Maps at this point?
1: Yeah, but I think that that's kind of what's interesting about it is that it's a thing that we don't even think about. It's time like, capsule. I love that... Uh, Donna apparently has had Mouse in her car this entire time. She, she's been traveling with the doctor, but she never thought to bring it up with him because it is mundane.
0: Nah, see, I don't think that works. That works at a certain for a certain lifespan in new technology where you can be like, we're leaving ourselves open to being victimized by this. You know what I mean? And then yeah. I I don't think that really works with, with mapping technology and sat navs as they call it in the UK anymore. Nobody cares. We're on to the next thing. We're on to the next paranoia craze. <laughs>
1: The other thing uh, that I really like about Atmos is it's it's such a a visceral thing that, like, even nowadays, you can walk past a parked car and you will see bumper stickers that say Atmos on them, like the fans made. Oh, that's cool. They don't have any other Doctor Who stuff on their car, but they've got a little Atmos sticker for that one person who's like, I get that reference. I've never seen that, but that is a really neat idea. Uh, Also, it implies that if I stand by your car, I'm going to die at some point. (laughs) To be fair, I don't.
0: Hate something just because it's dated, and uh, I do really like the marriage of sat nav has gone crazy and simultaneously being like it's supposed to clean up emissions, but really it uses those emissions as a poison. And also a double twist, what it's doing is creating a hospitable environment to clone more Santarans.
1: Clone feed, it's clone feed. What's clone feed? Like amniotic fluid for Santarans. That's why they're not invading. They're converting the atmosphere.
0: I think that's really great and it deals with the sort of core idea or, or core what could be a flaw with the premise, which is why are the Sontarans doing this? And it takes a long time before you get to that answer. <laughs> yeah, they leave you for a long time with just like, like it's a funny moment where the doctor, it just kind of basically calm them a bunch of shrimp dicks for using poison gas.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, he, he, he makes fun of them a lot in this episode. He rips them good. Uh, a lot of uh, short people jokes. Uh, I wonder, like, if there were any short, like, a, a midget fan that was just like, I'm done with the show. After I am this done episode. with Doctor Who now. <laughs> or maybe they would say, like, I'm done with Doctor Who now. <laughs> right, that's what that's what midgets sound like. They and now I'm like done Mickey with emails.
0: the twin dilemma. <gasps> you know, I've had it up to
1: here. And they're, like, reaching up as high as they can. <laughs> Those well, little fuckers. Well, ironically, that's exactly how high you need to be to ride.
0: Like
1: your Like your penis. Yeah, like my penis. I don't I like fuck no it. midgets.
0: Speaking of dicks, <laughs> yeah, you know, we we teased this earlier. Right, We've Got yes, to get to it. The sauce. If Centaurans are a clone race and they reproduce via cloning, do you think they have genitals? Do, oh, it's on a little bit of Seinfeld. Let me do that. <laughs> do you think they have genitals? What's the deal? What's with their the penis? deal with Sontar? Uh,
1: well, okay. This time, I remember thinking. It definitely seems like they have um, testosterone, you know, (laughs) like when you're only testosterone, only like Like they're just you cut their veins and
0: just testosterone pours out.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So that leads me to think that they have a gender. It's just they're all that one gender. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go ahead and say penis confirmed. Well, I hope they do, because I like to imagine
0: what their sexual norms and taboos would be like. I feel like there'd be a lot of like, you must
1: face each other during courtes. I feel like they wouldn't be having sex, but it is funny to picture them. No, totally. All, They'd be so rigid about it. Like, we must reach climax for the glory of the Suntoran Empire. Chris Chibnall, I really want to see a Suntoran out of his suit, like completely naked. Ha! The coward has pulled out before orgasm. <laughs> <laughs> and again, as soon as you go to finish, Suntar ha Suntar ha Suntar ha I like, with the multiple repetitions, I'm just picturing each one as its own blast of cum. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> Explicit tag on iTunes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Sontaran's, uh fuck
1: confirmed. You heard it here first, folks. Now that we've discussed the Santarn stratagem and the Poison Sky, it's time for some trivia. Helen Rayner, who wrote this story was apparently so affected by the poor reviews of her last story, Daleks in Manhattan, she flat out refused to write for the show again, and Russell T. Davies had to actually convince her not to pay attention to the reviews.
0: Wow, I'm kind of amazed that's the same person. I know, right? To be fair to the reviewers, uh,
1: the other episode she wrote sucked. It's a it's a big pile of doo-doo. <laughs> yeah. It's a big pile of uh, pig, pig face doo-doo. <laughs> Dialogue in the Time Warrior described Santarens as nasty, brutish, and short. However, this is the first time on screen where they were actually depicted as shorter than humans. I mean, in the Santarin experiment, he's taller than Tom Baker is. Yeah. You lose some of that um that magis- the magic about the Santarins. And a little known fact about Tom Baker, he's eight foot seven. And his dick is nine foot three. I know
0: that's uh that's why they had the scarf of that. wrap
1: it around his neck
0: and <laughs> cover it with a scarf.
1: Yeah, it, if you took the scarf away, he's literally just got a penis wrapped multiple times around his neck. He's a maniac. This was the first story to feature New Who's rebranding of unit to Unified Intelligence Task Force instead of United Nations Intelligence Task Force. We have talked about this before, but this was actually at the request of the United Nations. Yeah, bunch of Centaurans. Oh, I bet they are. They're they're Suntaran clones. Dickless Suntaran clones. So the Suntarans, they get dicks, but their clones, just not worthy? No, just the
0: UN ones. They had their dicks cut
1: off. Oh, okay. Because they're all UN nicks. Okay, yeah. Come on, that one was pretty good. Russell T. Davies said the Santarans were, quote, always on his list to return when he created New Who. I believe that. It always felt like he had, like, a rule, like, one new villain has to return every year.
0: Yeah. Which uh, I mean, in general, I like his attitude about that, and I think he picked good ones to return.
1: During an interview with Jonathan Ross, Catherine Tate said that she had been filming with Centaurans for nearly two weeks before realizing there was an actor inside. <laughs> she thought she thought that they quote ran on electricity. <laughs> Like, how good of a budget did did she think that Doctor Who had? I mean, what does she think life is? (laughs) I mean, it's got to be the ones with the helmets on, right? I hope that she was, like, putting out her cigarettes on them and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) She said that she was standing next to one, and it took off its helmet, or it took off whatever the the headpiece is, and she saw the person underneath, and she was literally scared and yelped. (laughs) Speaking of the actors underneath... This was the first story to feature Dan Starkey, who would become famous for playing Strax, as well as just about every Suntaran you have seen or heard since 2008. Yes, R.I.P. everyone
0: else who played a Suntaran in this story.
1: The other guy who plays, like, uh, the general in this story, Commander, or General Stahl, he's really good, and I think he's one of the Suntarans that appears in the Pandorica Opens. Mm hmm. But I think those are the only times he's shown up. He had one more glimmer. No idea that it was his last little bite of the cherry. That Suntaran cherry. Testicles. Bringing it all back to testicles. Now that we've discussed both of our stories this week, it's time to wage war. It's time for the dilemma. Now you have got to make a choice. So Edward Grove, you get to command one warrior race episode. Which one's it going to be? I think I
0: will choose as my my champion in this uh, this fight to the death the one with the longer title because it's two titles hmm. the Suntaran Stratagem uh, no, and I think, the I, Poison Sky. I think
1: the one you're thinking of is the Suntaran Experiment. <laughs> you want to you want to d- defend that one?
0: Despite your wishes, I'm I'm gonna stick with my 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 focus on length.
1: Well. uh... Devoted fans, it's time for a coin flip. Oh, fuck. I believe you called last time.
0: I did, and you made a goddamn fool of yourself. Not this time. You made a shambles and a mockery of
1: everything with multiple coin flips. This time it's going to be perfect, and I'm calling Tails. Oh, who called it? Uh, Literally me.
0: (laughs) And it's Tails. All right, well, I mean, that's accurate. It's a lot less impressive than you made it sound.
1: But hey, it flipping accurate.
0: coins is hard. Well, you know, earlier, I said I was focusing on length, but I realize now I should focus on girth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so we're back to Suntaran penises again. And what's girthier than a classic Suntaran? Uh, I guess new who Suntarans. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, they're a bit girthier, but the, yours are longer. So, yeah, I've, uh, I've undone my own argument. Also, we all know it's about the motion of the Centauran. <laughs> but uh, in all seriousness, I do think I like the Suntaran experiment a bit more than you do. And I do think it has some neat advantages and some some things about it that you can honestly say are stronger than the Centauran stratagem and the Poison Sky. I think if you just look at them as core science fiction concepts, the concept of a barren future Earth, that has been turned into a sort of mangala style laboratory for horrible, torturous war games. In a story wherein people are tortured to death, by the way. <laughs> not, not only is it like a more interesting concept, it's certainly a concept that's aged a lot better than what you have in the Tarn Stratagem in the Poison
1: Sky. I don't know. I think calling that the concept of that episode mm-hmm. is like a stretch That is 100%. Half of what you It's called
0: the centaur experiment.
1: Half of what you just said is the setting, which uh, is literally a hill that they found somewhere in England. No, no, no. That is definitely the concept. I mean, you arrive there,
0: you're wondering what's happening, and then there are sort of like rogue gangs. You're wondering who they are. Those are the humans who are there because of this experiment that's happening. You're not clued in on what's happening until out exceedingly abnormally (laughs) far into the story hey both of our stories (laughs) thanks (laughs) i guess i'm being honest
1: here but because i'm going to win
0: (laughs) but that's definitely the concept of the story it's ridiculous to say that the suntaran experiment is not the concept of the suntaran experiment
1: no i'm saying uh when, when you talk about how you're in this like barren wasteland that's not the concept of the suntaran experiment I mean, that is the concept of the Centauran experiment. And I think, yeah, if you distill it down to a sentence uh, log line on a piece of paper, it might be more interesting. But in practice, I, I personally found the experiments themselves, there was one that was interesting. I liked the-, the gravity bar. The gravity bar was really cool. But I think in practice, the whole concept of the Atmos stratagem is much more interesting in pretty much every way.
0: I think that's somewhat true. I really don't think, you know. I think when they're driving the cars into the water, I think that's really stupid and has aged not well. I mean that that became a joke on The Office.
1: Yes, yeah, and that it is immediately what you think of, isn't it? When you yeah. watch this episode, you know. I, I mean, I think uh,
0: some of this we have to consider on a time scale. I I think it'll be interesting to see if any of that age is worse. It's aided it a lot worse a lot faster than stuff in the the suntaran experiment in terms of the the quality of the concept but i mean it's it's undeniable that pound for pound entertainment wise you've just got a lot more action and a lot more fun and i mean it's also it's it's twice as long but even forgiving that uh yeah it, you you get more out of the concept in uh the suntaran strategy and the poison sky but i still think in terms of the pure concept It's a more novel science fiction concept that you got in uh, the Suntaran experiment.
1: While the sat nav stuff hasn't aged very well, I still really like the concept of just like converting all the cars on Earth into a weapon against the planet itself. I don't like the cars part. I, I like the idea, you know, it's not particularly
0: new, but I like the idea of them doing this weird terraforming thing to make it clones but the cars thing is hokey to me.
1: No, it's it's fine. It's taking pre-existing machinery that's already being used by the planet and using it against the people who made that machinery. It's
0: so time-stamped, though. It's so corny, and it's so about this very specific period of time when everybody was like, "Our cars are getting too smart. What are we gonna do?" And you know what we did? We had better gas mileage.
1: That's what happened. But it, it, it's also very much an environmental message. Like it's not a strong one because it's, it's basically saying like turn message. away from any turn
0: away from all the technology.
1: <laughs> uh, no, I, I I like that concept a lot. I like the idea that you know the weapon that is going to kill us is already amongst us.
0: See, but that's the thing is it's it's not bad, but it's it's silly techno paranoia. I mean, even great shows do it, but it crops up all the time where it's like, what what's the new thing? Okay, let's
1: let's write a script about why that's going to kill us. Well, I don't want to talk too much about this one idea, but I, I will before we move on say, a- as I pointed out, I don't really buy any of the concept in Santaran Experiment just because it doesn't make any sense. The entire army is waiting on this one guy's results of his tests. And it's like, just fucking use Suntaran Google. Well, that part is silly, but I mean, you can do that with almost
0: any Doctor Who plot. The Suntaran stratagem doesn't make any sense and isn't actually consistent with any of the other stories about how Suntarans make clones or reproduce. Why are they converting Earth in this ridiculous way? They have all this teleporter technology. Well, they,
1: their technology has evolved since the last we've seen them. But, I, mean, I mean, obviously, uh, you look at how their teleporters have evolved. They used to just be testicles they'd leave out <laughs> in a field. But I mean, why would they go
0: through all this trouble of converting Earth? Why wouldn't they just use an empty planet? Nothing in Centauran Stratum and Poison Sky actually makes sense from that kind of logical standpoint. Well, but I, I don't say, think that makes the plot any worse. So uh, I think it's still a fun story.
1: Again, they're they're using the technology that's already in place. But you, they, could, you, could, you could... It's they, a huge
0: did you see pain how quickly, in the ass to use the technology that's in place. And it also wasn't in place.
1: Did you see how quickly they they converted that planet? Do you
0: not remember that Luke created Atmos? Yeah,
1: but how long ago was that? We
0: don't know because it's not in
1: the episode. I know, but... uh. S- judging by the Doctor's knowledge of Atmos, it's got to be like a year ago.
0: Okay, so this stuff you're inventing doesn't fix plot holes. But I'm saying plot holes aren't a significant
1: problem in a show about time travel. All right, let's talk about characters in our stories. Okay. Uh, other than the Doctor, Sarah Jane, mm-hmm. and Harry Sullivan, uh. although there are actors in your story, uh. <laughs> I don't think there are characters.
0: No, there's characters, but there's probably only uh, two I'm not going to pretend they're great characters because there's a there's, what there's like four or five guys. I'm not even sure how many, and uh, definitely two of them are 100 interchangeable.
1: Yeah, uh, they're they're beardy beard men. There's a guy. It's like rural. He's
0: like the the leader of their little uh, ragtag shit fest group, <laughs> <laughs> but he's kind of interesting because you know his like arc is that he actually betrayed the group to work with the. Styre, is that his name? Yeah. I'm like getting my the shitty Centauran names between they all episodes. They <laughs> And uh, the way it turns around where the Centauran was like, you know, why would I work with you? You betrayed your friends. I, I actually sort of like that exchange. But if we're going sidecast to sidecast, I mean, I can't pretend that they're, they're not even better than those two shitty uh, guys who are <laughs> like, uh, unit guys? hold my tea,
1: bruh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, they're pretty awful in that episode. I, I, I really don't think they're awful, but they're not interesting. I don't know. I find them very
0: forgettable. Yeah, they're forgettable. But I mean, you're saying awful, like classic
1: Doctor Who is filled with amazing side casts. But like, Santarn and Stratagem, you even remember that like bald unit, uh, like General. That guy isn't... Uh, I, I don't remember that guy. I know who you're talking about. Um, Colonel Mace. Like... You don't remember him like a month after, but he, his, his is a face and a character that will stick with you. I literally did not remember him until you brought him up, but
0: then I remembered him, and I do like him, but he's uh, he's not he's not a memorable character to me.
1: Let's talk about Suntarans. Okay. I actually, you know, I
0: this actually brings up an interesting thing, right? Which is just in general, New Who versus classic Suntarans. I would think in pretty much any other New Who story... I would have like an inherent advantage because they've they kind of damaged them turned them into a bit of a joke, yeah. right? But I think uh, ah, this is I'm making a terrible uh, case for myself here. <laughs> but in uh, the Centauran Stratagem in the Poison Sky, they really had a great vision of the modern Centauran.
1: They they went full militaristic, which was definitely seemingly a message of of Russell T Davies. He was very like anti military. But then they they kept all the funny bits. You know, they kept the joke about them being short. Of course, as we can see in your episode, they weren't really short. Yeah. yeah. Something went wrong in the cloning batches a a couple years after the Centauran Experiment, and then they ended up short. And I also think, like, it's one of those really good examples of New Who taking a classic Who design. It must have been a consequence of the time war. Of them being short. They shrunk. (laughs) Some kind of relativity thing. <laughs> but like, the Centaurans still managed to have that style that was established for them in classic. But they also just look really modern and they look good.
0: Yeah, uh, visually it was a really great adaptation. They're unmistakably the same thing, but you're right, they look like a new design.
1: Yeah, their spaceships, are, even though they're so hokey looking, yeah. <laughs> they just fly around in balls.
0: And You know, I really, I don't even dislike the Centauran or the Centaurans plural, in the Centauran experiment. I think there's some pretty neat stuff happening there. I do have to admit, uh, there is a terrible robot that looks like an awful version. Oh, I forgot the, about the robot. I don't know why I'm bringing it up then. <laughs> it looks like a, a really bad white supremacist version of that Imperial drone
1: on Hoth. Look- <laughs> <laughs> but it's got catfish whiskers. Yeah, it did. And it doesn't match the aesthetic of anything that the Centaurans build?
0: Ah, uh, not really. It matches the ship a little bit with some of the lines. In that like, there are lines. In that there are lines. Hey, <laughs> hey, lines. But
1: even the ship is kind of uh, organic shaped. It's round. He's very uh, jaggedy. I thought the ship,
0: the ship was a little bit jaggedy. The, the Tamagotchi well, thing is very round.
1: The the ship is literally a ball, but it's got like a cross-hatching sort of Yeah, and texture. it's got the like um, the doorways like all triangular.
0: Maybe. Which matches the weird uh, catfish whisker mouth. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm clinging to
0: anything here.
1: <laughs> yeah, Suntar and Stratagem, the design is just off the charts. It's a really pretty episode. It also kind of established this, like, purple aesthetic that goes with the Sontarans really well for some reason. Yeah, it's
0: kind of hard to compare uh, a two-parter that they obviously made for $7 with a Sony (laughs) Handycam (laughs) to a a two-parter that was going to be, like, the epic showpiece of that season.
1: Yeah, well, that's what you've got to contend with. (laughs) You know, uh, my story, it's got Luke, who is... One of the better villains in, in all of Russell T. Davies' time. Like, even if you don't want to call him a villain, because he's got that redemption story yeah,
0: I Yeah, I find it hard to go that far and also to label him a villain. But I will say, whatever you want to call him, he is really great. And I don't feel like there's really any e- real equivalent to him.
1: He's, in... he's like a Dolores Umbridge. He's a, he's a Stephen King villain. You I know, think... he's like the woman in the... In, uh, she's the, that woman from uh, The Mist, Okay. You know, like a person who's just obstinate and you just want to the really yeah. <laughs> like beat, beat the fucking shit out of them. The really religious lady from the mist. Yeah. Just like all religious people. I just want to beat the fucking
0: shit out of them. Them and the blacks. <laughs> yeah. You know, normally I'd love to be like, "Dot, let's go doctor versus doctor, but uh, we got old squinty Tom Baker here. Not exactly given it as all. And I it, feel like I said something about tenth doctor defining moment earlier.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I know we didn't like line up on on my feelings about uh four in this story, but I it, it honestly felt like maybe this story was uh, you know, I believe this was his first season. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh I mean it's gotta be. Uh Harry wasn't around for that long. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe it was like recorded early. It feels like he's not comfortable in the role yet. But uh, I could be wrong about that. It could just be the wind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think we don't necessarily agree
0: with the uh, the exact diagnostic issue, but we both agree that like it puts his performance off.
1: Definitely, yeah.
0: Uh, and so yeah, I'm not seeing a whole lot of areas where I
1: can say Suntron experiment is better. You know what? Uh, you know what the real reason is? Mm-hmm. Hangover. He was just on a really, really bad hangover.
0: I think saying, I, I was hungover, and I was just like, <laughs> is this an out? Can I just say yes?
1: And let, <laughs> do I get to win? Well, you wouldn't get to win. Oh, okay. <laughs> I would take it a bit easier on you. You just whisper the rest of the time? Would that help you? I don't know. Does that would you feel like a point hangover? wasn't being made? <laughs>
0: um. Well, hangover or no hangover, I'm going to hang myself... <laughs> And uh, uh, I mean, it's Santarans, so I mean, you're gonna kill me. They they take no prisoners. Yeah, we have no mercy. Uh,
1: Suntaran experiment loses. Look at it. Look at it this way: a good Santaran has a good death. This is a bad death. No, it's honorable. This is impotent. You're dying
0: in battle. Feeble. I I, I could barely hold my sword or my penis. <laughs> I couldn't even pronounce penis correctly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you continue to not be able to. What was that word? Ah. Okay. Going
0: weaker by the second.
1: Also Italian or something? It's a sort of more Swedish. And now with our dilemma taken care of, our bonus this week from Big Finish's Classic Doctor's New Monsters range, The Suntaran Ordeal. It's Ordeal! How clever of you. I'm right, aren't I?
0: What's Ordeal?
1: Santaran punishment. Inflicted
0: by court martial when a Santaran has disgraced himself. In this adventure written by Barnaby Edwards, the Doctor finds himself paired with an unlikely ally a woman! No, not just a woman. He also teams up with one of the potato headed warmongers we call the Santarans. But far from a conquering force, this little spud has been sentenced to death. And cast aside on the war-torn planet of Dracus, where a full-blown Suntaran invasion waits
1: in the wings.
0: All right, so, Barrick Lamar, what do you think of the Suntaran Ordeal?
1: Well, before I get into like a, a bit of a diatribe about why this episode is like wrong in its premise, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll just say the Suntaran Ordeal is... It's okay.
0: Yeah, I can get down with that. I, uh, I, I enjoyed it, but uh, I found the beginning of it a little bit oddly dull, particularly because I really tend to like Barnaby Edwards' writing a lot. But I, I got into it a bit more as the story went on. But let me hear this uh, this hot diatribe.
1: Yeah, so this is Classic Doctors, New Monsters, Volume 1. Ah, okay. In that sense, yes. In what way is a Suntaran
0: a new monster? So if uh, the title wasn't self-explanatory enough, it's supposed to be uh, Classic Doctors with uh, monsters from New Who. Yes,
1: and this is a box set of four stories, each with their own New Who monsters. It's like three of them, they're like, yep, new monster, and then they ran out of ideas? It's really
0: weird. Like This one is the most puzzling, but in general, if you look at both of the box sets, the choice of New Who monsters, it's just very limited, and I don't know, it's a little disappointing.
1: Yeah, and they've also snatched their hands onto Weeping Angels, and it's like now every fucking release has Weeping Angels in it. It's like, Weeping Angels don't work for audio.
0: And doesn't Volumes 2 have two Vashta Narada stories?
1: It does. But the, actually, uh, the fourth Doctor Vashti Narada is probably the best of their this range that they've released so far. But why two? You're buying the box set for new monsters. Don't you want four new monsters? They don't want to run out of them too quickly. They want to be able to release these box sets for 10 years. Listen, people will buy any fucking shitty monster you throw at them. This time, I was thinking like, I think you could get away with it if, you know, Dan Starkey's in this episode. Why not just have him play Strax? Have this be like the story where Strax met the Doctor because we've never seen that. You you know they're waiting to do a the Noster gang. Oh, yeah, yeah. As a big finish range. Yeah,
0: they definitely are. A hundred percent.
1: They should be able to at this point, I believe. Mm-hmm. I mean, their rights go up to the
0: 12th Doctor. I so. think they've been waiting for... The Stephen Moffat era to end.
1: Because there's no way that they're coming back for Chris Chibnall. I don't think so. Do you think so? No. I I also just, I don't think, you know, it's it's weird we haven't seen them since Deep Breath, but it's still, they still feel so prevalent.
0: Yeah, it was really weird because in Deep Breath, you really, in my opinion, got the sense that they were going to be around a lot more.
1: Yeah. Well, I think maybe Stephen Moffat realized that that's the wrong direction.
0: I suppose so. But anyway, we're wandering a field. One thing that is interesting, and it's a a side effect and the sort of main thing you get from this being Classic Doctor's new monsters, is right away, and it feels so odd, you've got the Eighth Doctor just straight up talking about the Time War. You've brought your fight into real time. Take your war, your cruel, senseless Time War, and leave. And it feels so bizarre after, like, a decade (laughs) of Big Finish should have Playing footsie with the Time War,
1: yeah. Like they, it was always there, but they had to do it delicately. There's like, like, there's a war. There's a war. There's a
0: lot of Daleks over there. Isn't that suspicious? Wink, wink.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I do really think that there's one solidly really great concept in this story, which is the whole premise of the Santarans in this story. They want to be a part of the Time War. They think it's the greatest war of all time. We Santarans
0: wish to partake in it.
1: It is why my fleet was sent here, to learn what we could, to find a way to join
0: the war. Yeah, and it is really interesting because that, that is the uh, backstory has been mentioned in other places, that this, the time war is this massive thing, but for some reason, I don't know
1: why exactly, they're not allowed to participate in it. Just because they're, you know, it's time lords and Daleks. What do we need Centaurans for? But, also, isn't but, their war still going? Well, their... their war is still going. They're in a 50,000 year long I war with I believe so. Ends. But every other race seemed to get a taste of the Time War. I think that the more so they got, like, shat on by the Time War, as seen in this episode. That's right. And I do want to talk about that in a moment, because I think that's an interesting sort
0: of choice that's discussed here. But it seems like the Centaurans are, like, particularly excluded. Because you think about, like, Cass in Night of the Doctor, you know, she's obviously
1: basically in the Time War. Yeah. She's sort of living on its outskirts, but yeah. it's, it's clearly affected her life very radically. Whereas, uh, for some reason,
0: the fucking Centaurans uh, just can't get some.
1: There is a sort of a, a puzzling line in here that forces you to change, the, at least for me, change the way that I thought of the Time War. At one point, the Centauran Jask says, This sector of space was contaminated by temporal flux, a type of instability
0: caused when the Time War enters real time.
1: So, like, I always thought of the time lock as being something sort of like a side effect that happened after the war.
0: I definitely think that's the case. Like, I don't think the time lock happened until, like, I think the time lock ended the time war. But so, I I agree. I had the same reaction where I was like, that's not how I thought about the time war at all. I thought the time war as more of just like a, a real war that had time travel as a major component of it. But this talks about it like this sort of, like, ethereal corrupting force that damages timelines.
1: Yeah, even just by getting close to it, as we see, uh, this planet gets completely, radically changed in its history just by being near the Time War.
0: Yeah, that was very that that really surprised me. Like Dracus is a planet. A, a, a battle from the Time War happens sort of adjacent to it, and it turns from a peaceful planet into a planet that will be plagued forever by war. And yeah, that really. I wanted to know what, what did you think about that as a decision about the Time War.
1: On one hand, I thought it was interesting. Uh, I I do like Big Finish exploring the possible, like, consequences of the Time War. Uh, But I don't really like the idea that, like, just make the battle have been on Dracus. Yeah. Like, have it be that some past pacifist was accidentally killed by a, a stray Dalek blast, and that's why this world is so corrupted. Yeah, I felt the same way. I didn't like how metaphysical
0: it made the time war seem.
1: Yeah, it makes it feel like a consciousness. Yeah.
0: And it's like, it could so easily be explained if they wanted to explain it, where it's like, there's so much time travel happening that it tears lots of holes in time, and it changes things or something. But the way it just like, it changed the timeline to specifically be more warlike, it really did feel like, you know, like the will of a god or something. It felt sort of whimsical and abstract and yeah, I, I wasn't a huge fan of that.
1: There's another sort of new idea in this, uh, adding to the the Suntaran mythos, where they get the title from, which is Ordeal. Yes. What do you think of Ordeal?
0: I love the Suntaran Ordeal. You know, I think the idea that a shamed Suntaran is basically given a task that's like, you're going to die. Uh, but if you don't, it's almost worse because now you're shamed and you survived it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's really cool they become like guinea pigs. Yeah. They, I, I'm just picturing like a bunch of like ordealed Sontarans <laughs> literally just being like loaded into a cannon and fired at the enemy.
0: <laughs> I was just at a
1: brick wall. Like we're, we're testing
0: the strength <laughs> of this brick wall.
1: <laughs> we're testing it for weaknesses. Yeah.
0: And it's that's a little bit ice for you. <laughs> yeah. I held a little bit too hard on the S. <laughs> but yeah. It's like we needed to be rated three Centauran skulls. It's sort of an interesting tone in this. I feel like in addition to having the, uh, the quote-unquote new Suntarans, they do take a couple extra steps to make it feel a bit more like a new Who story. Besides just obviously the, uh, the sort of hour-long format. There's one really simple touch. The Doctor runs into this hatch, and it's deadlocked. And I feel like deadlocked hatch isn't really that phrase. That was really something that started in sort of the RTD
1: era. No, no, no. What? This hatch is deadlocked. Sonic screwdrivers on the other side. Sonic, my key. He meets up with this woman at the beginning of the story named Sorana, who's uh, the paladin of her city of Oropolis. And it's like I, I really like the concept that like there, there's like these city states, and each one has like a chosen champion that like represents their city. I just thought it was very strange that like we're meeting this warrior woman literally sinking into quicksand <laughs> for seemingly not much reason at all.
0: Oh, I was stupid. I should have been more careful.
1: I take it you're not aware of
0: what just happened. I fell into quicksand. That's what just happened. I'll be honest. I thought she really sucked as a character. I thought one of the worst moments for her was there was this really clear moment where I felt like they were trying to telegraph the idea that she was really valiant and you should really like her because they they were telling you about her backstory and how she became the paladin. Why has Veropolis sent you to broker this peace? The elders called for volunteers. I was the only one. And it feels like they're just saying, look, she's like a protagonist. Like her. Like her. She's great. But then you never see her do anything like that in the story. And they go on to say, like, you know, why'd you do it? Oh, because I'm a mother. And it's like, okay, you've abandoned your kids?
1: Well, they're not abandoned. They're in a prison camp. (laughs)
0: But, you know, it's like the presumably all the other mothers didn't do it because they thought they were going to die because it's an obvious death mission.
1: I thought it was funny that the city that she's going to visit is called Barrowman. Like, yeah. what did Jack ever do to you? <laughs> Another kind of cool thing about this story is that the the, the, the team ends up sort of being the Eighth Doctor, Serana, and Jask.
0: Yeah, which is – that is kind of a neat little dynamic.
1: Yeah, and the way their dynamic evolves over time is that eventually you get to a point where every member of that team, or I guess, except for the doctor, they all want to kill every other <laughs> member of the team for a reason or another.
0: There's a lot of real or apparent betrayals
1: happening. Which really sets up some, uh, some interesting uh, conversations.
0: Absolutely. And I do really like the sort of twisty end where, you know, it looks like they're getting thrown into an incinerator, but really it's all part of... Jask's scheme to get revenge against the general.
1: Yeah, and I love that that whole storyline too of Jask just tr- like even though he has been shamed, his life, his career is over. He's still just like fighting for the honor of Santarans.
0: Yeah, and I, I think um, like sometimes I feel like Santarans should be a little bit more utilitarian than they are presented in this story. But I like the story with Jask. I like that depiction of Santaran honor, and I think. To me, the first ten minutes, I wasn't really grabbing on to it, but once the story gets going, I did enjoy it. I would agree it's not like a, a ten out of ten big finish, but it's not bad.
1: There's some good action scenes.
0: The only other thing I want to point out is that the uh, the general is named General Stank, and that sounds <laughs> a lot like General Stink. And I wrote lo lo lo, 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 lo. I mean, Stank is funny just by itself. Well, it's S T E N K. Oh, is it? Yeah, Stank. Stank. La 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 la. la. Santar ha. Santar la la la. And with our discussion concluded, it's time for some Santaran ordeal trivia. In this story, the Doctor claims studied sword fighting with Musashi. This may be a reference to real life Ronin Miyamoto Musashi from 17th century Japan, known for being a master swordsman and being undefeated in his
1: record of 60 duels. And he's telling this to to a Santaran who would know this. I don't know, but he breaks his sword anyway. I guess Suntarans probably, they've studied every warrior from every race. Doctor just loves name-dropping.
0: <laughs> As likely discussed to some degree earlier, and it was, this is the only story from the classic Doctor's New Monsters range to feature what is actually a classic-era monster, the suntarns having first appeared opposite John Pertwee in the Time Warrior. The reason this isn't total bullshit is because the Suntarans presented in this story are from a new clone batch more similar to those seen in New Who. How are we supposed to know that? I mean, you can kind of tell with the way they act. You mean that it's Dan Starkey? It's Dan (laughs) Starkey. And um, there's that other guy who even kind of sounds more like Stahl.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I know who you're talking about.
0: But I wanted to ask you, like, can they really be New Who Suntarans without Strax?
1: Without Strax? Without Strax
0: specifically? I mean, isn't he... Like, he's basically the only New Who Suntaran.
1: Well, I I did like that they connected it a little bit more to uh, Suntaran Stratagem by naming uh, him Jask the Foe Slayer in the same way that in Suntaran Stratagem it's like Stahl the Undefeated. Is that not just an an all Suntarans thing They have names like that? I don't think so. I don't remember that ever happening in a classic story. Jask
0: mentions having been a member of the Ninth Suntaran Battle Fleet, a fleet introduced to us in the story, the two Doctors.
1: Ooh. Yeah. Uh, love that episode. The best fleet of all. We'll talk about it someday.
0: Weirdly, in the end of time, the Tenth Doctor also briefly clashes with a Centauran who shares the name Jask. Kudos to you if you remember that a Centauran appears in that story, and if you remember that his name is Jask, then I think you've probably crossed a line and should seek counseling. I don't even remember a
1: Centauran in that story. Me neither. <laughs>
0: I believe it's like a tiny little cameo and he hits him on the probic vent and he falls over in the end.
1: Okay. I can't even imagine where that would be. Who cares? Good question. Working titles for this story
0: included Ordeal of the Centaurans. You know, I like it more. Uh, I am I just made that one up. Oh. <laughs> uh, I assume. They
1: probably considered it. <laughs> Don't you like? It, it's probably true. Yeah. Also uh comma ordeal Santarin the of ordeal ordeal Santarin the of great
0: candidates and so that brings us to the end of this week's installment of the twin dilemma this week I I think it was the Santarin experiment one is that
1: right I don't think that's correct (sighs) ah I I feel like you were beaten in battle and you are now shamed let's do it It's It's time for your ordeal. It's all
0: the damage to my probic vent that's damaged my memory.
1: Sure, your probic vent. That's what we'll call it.
0: The the Centauran stratagem and the Poison Sky slammed my probic vent as
1: hard as it could over
0: and over in a way that's left me quivering and kind of uh,
1: wanting a little bit more. This brings up a new uh, point for our discussion. Do they fuck the probic vents? Unfortunately, it's going to have to wait for next week
0: because I'm Edward Grove. And I am Fenric Lamar. And uh, tune in next week as we plumb the depths of each other's probic vents. We'll see you there. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Join us next week when our theme is timey-wimey
1: small finish
0: we love dumb shit